You guys ready? Yeah. A La Jolla man clings to life. Bumblebee, bumblebee, bumblebee. Feels so good when it touches the lips. Scotch, scotch, I love scotch. Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Consulting. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for setting your podcast down to 14th and G because it is fight night here in the red trunks, weighing in at well over 100 pounds and standing somewhat over five feet tall. He's oh. <laughs> the Republican, the Bethesda brawler, Bruce Melman, here in the blue trunks, weighing in at a little bit more, standing just a little taller. He is the chubby cheek charger of Chevy Chase, Democrat David Thomas. Bruce, DT, welcome to 14th and G. I had, Thanks, no, I, Dean. I had no idea this was going to be the thriller in vanilla. Well, I mean, come on. We're, we've all got one foot out the door. Uh, we're headed out for Thanksgiving. But I had to start with the way Congress uh, left town last week. And thank God they got out of town because uh, the fights were breaking out all over the Capitol Hill. Uh, you had uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, elbowing poor Congressman Burchett in the kidneys. Uh, he's still feeling it in the kidneys. You had Chairman Comer at the Oversight Committee referring to a very smurfly dressed Jared Moskowitz as a smurf. But I think Senator Mark Wayne Mullen took the cake when he stood up in the hearing and challenged uh, his witness, the head of the Teamsters Union, uh, to an actual fist fight and made clear he's not afraid to bite. Thank goodness there are no canes anymore because uh, Charles Sumner left to mind. Yeah. How embarrassing. Uh, I think Bernie when Sanders. When Bernie Sanders is the voice of reason. <laughs> Bernie Sanders had to remind him, you are a United States senator. And I know a lot of people said, well, they'd been at you know work for several weeks in a row. Um, I imagine the rest of the Mer- America that has to work every day uh, and sometimes works with people that perhaps they don't see eye to eye with or like very much. Uh, you don't get in fist fights. You don't uh, push people in the back. You don't hit them in the kidneys. I don't. These people have lost their mind. It's very disillusioning. I mean, you want to take that outside? <laughs> well, there's bad behavior all over the hill. I mean, uh, Congressman Bowman and the fire alarm, uh, which he pled guilty to last week. Uh, is this uh, look? These guys were in session because of the Republicans' inability to elect a speaker. These guys were in session for nearly ten weeks straight. And but was it that, or is there is there more going on? I mean, well, is this a the, symptomatic is, is of where like, we are? Like, you know, uh, well, we didn't give enough recess, and so they got in fights. I mean, that feels to me very elementary school. Look, how long has it been since most Americans would tell their children to behave more like elected leaders? By contrast, these days, don't, you know, I don't care what the president of the United States did, mister, you better behave. Well, they got uh, they got something very important done. I, I cannot remember the last time we got to this point in the year. Uh, and we weren't facing at least the potential uh, of a fiscal crisis, a government funding crisis. Congress has gotten government funded. They haven't passed all of fiscal year 24 yet, but they at least got uh, at least got government funding into 2024. Uh, I, we have we have two CR deadlines now. One set of appropriations. Doesn't it feel like a fifteen yard punt on third down though? I kind mean, kind of, kind of. One one set to expire January 9th. 
The other is set to expire February 2nd. Congress is coming back after Thanksgiving uh, for at least a couple of weeks, uh, maybe three, maybe as long as three weeks. Uh, what are they going to get done? We don't have a fiscal crisis to deal with. What are we going to do ahead of the new year? Well, there are things that have to get done, uh, and so that's what they'll come back and do. Uh, number one, the uh, annual defense bill, the NDAA, uh, that gets done every year. I suspect it will. Uh, this deal will be no different, uh, and uh, the House and Senate just need to reconcile their versions. So I think that is a very good chance of getting done this year. Uh, secondly, uh, Senator Schumer has uh, led the way in saying – uh, we need to get the president's uh, emergency supplemental appropriations request for foreign aid uh, done this year, and uh, that would support Ukraine, it would support Israel, uh, it would support Taiwan, and possibly deal with the uh, situation at our southern border. So that is something that the Senate has uh, said they would like to get done. Both Senator Schumer and McConnell have said they want to get that piece of legislation done. The question is, uh, if they get it done, what does the House do? That remains unclear. Uh, there are also some year-end things. Uh, one I'm watching very closely is the FAA bill, uh, which does need to be extended or an authorization done. They're, they're, the House and Senate have uh, been working on those bills all year. It's probably time to wrap that up. We'll see if they can get it done before the end of the year. Yeah, it seems to me a, a lot of the oxygen is going to be taken up by this fight over the foreign supplemental. Uh, the House has already passed a standalone Israel aid bill. Uh, but, of course, uh, both, uh, both Majority Leader Schumer and Republican Leader uh, McConnell want all the funding buckets tied together. That's, that's aid to Israel, that's aid to Ukraine, Taiwan. And it sounds like the key to turning that in the Senate, at least, is not just more funding for border processing, but actual changes to border policy or asylum laws. Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, to your point, T.T., God only knows what the House is going to do with that. I mean, you're already seeing the Freedom Caucus. Uh, they have a very stringent uh, border bill, uh, which was H.R. Uh, 2, the second bill they introduced in this Congress. Uh, you're already seeing Chip Roy and others say uh, anything below H.R. 2 uh, is dead on arrival in the House. It, under normal circumstances, you could see a, a deal coming together here, but we are not living in normal times. It is unclear whether a deal can be reached between the House, really the House Republicans and everybody else to not just deal with something like the border, but right after the holidays, we'll be right back where we are with a funding fight on the 19th and the 2nd. In, uh, you know, so now we have a staggered CR approach going forward here. Um, nothing has changed. And the House was unable to move their appropriations bills that they have been trying to do under Speaker McCarthy and now uh, Speaker Mike Johnson. They're not getting done. The margins are too close. And so at some point that will come to a head. The question is, will we have a shutdown? Will we get punted again? Or will the Republicans kick out Mike Johnson and find another speaker in their ranks. <laughs> well, my, That's the situation. To be fair, uh, Speaker Johnson is the establishment uh, figure at this point because he has been checks watched eight seconds as the speaker. <laughs> it is kind of funny that, you know, people like uh, Chip Roy have said, you know, he has two strikes. I mean, the guy literally just got called up to the major leagues. Uh, but, you know, for, for the spending stuff aside on, on the uh, supplemental, um, it's not unusual. In fact, the founders designed a system predicated on compromise. The House R's are ready to do Israel. The White House, the Senate says, you don't get Israel unless you give us Ukraine. 
Republicans, both in the Senate and the House, say, you want Ukraine, you give us border. In theory, one could envision a package, as ugly as it feels being put together, where uh, everybody's top priority gets a piece of it, maybe not 100 percent, but in the end, you fund Israel, you fund Ukraine, and you deal with the border, which, you know, uh, the ugliness of rhetoric often aside, we have a historic challenge of uh, more refugees coming over the border than at any point. Our economy is drawing people from all around the world, and we're simply not controlling the border. That is a major concern for uh, voters, especially in the middle of the in, in uh, you know independent and swing voters. You know, it, because and I'll say this: when it comes to foreign supplemental, when it comes to funding the government. You put these things on the floor of the Senate, and you put these things on the floor of the House, and they've got nearly 75% support, bipartisan support, in each chamber. And you guys made fun of me a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again. I think the idea that shutdowns equal leverage uh, is becoming dead letter in the Republican caucus, in the House Republican caucus. I'm not saying it's extinct. McCarthy burned, set himself on fire not to shut the government down. Johnson got it done. It's a, sort of an odd approach, um, but he did what he had to do to keep the government funded. All I say is, we'll see, Dean. We will see. <laughs> we will see. Two strikes. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of foreign aid, uh, one one key piece of that is Taiwan. Uh, another remarkable thing. Another year in miracle. Not only are we not dealing with a funding fight here at the end of the year, but Governor Gavin Newsom and the Democrats in California cleaned up San Francisco uh, for the arrival of Chinese Premier uh, Xi, who arrived for the APEC uh, Asia-Pacific Summit and had a little uh, had a tête-à-tête -tête, uh, with Biden. It seems like the Chinese are desirous of, both sides really, desirous of bringing down the tensions. We've had skirmishes uh, on the very outer edges between our naval forces and our and our air forces and uh, it seems like both sides have sort of looked over the abyss and said why don't we tone things down yeah look the uh, I, the second cold war has not been canceled but as with the first these things go from a hotter to cooler and for uh, their own domestic political reasons and economic reasons I think uh, President Xi in China realizes the epic drop in foreign investment is really bad. They're going through a, a huge property bubble. They need to make a little bit nicer. They need more access to technology. So he came um, bearing gifts, as it were, and, and at least in this very short term, trying to uh, make nicer than uh, we've seen China make under President Xi for over five, if not 10 years. They've been more aggressive and more repressive. So. I'm not ready to buy on this signal, although it's better than the alternative. At the same time, the United States were focused on Ukraine with uh, with you know ongoing need for supplies, but diminishing patience among American and others in the West. We're trying to support our ally in the Middle East, Israel, with no nobody in the rest of the world seemingly on the same side. That's taking a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of focus. And then number three, uh, there are many in the defense community who say we're not ready, whether it's to defend Taiwan or to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, which, of course, we don't want to with China. But if we can buy time to strengthen the military-industrial base, if we can buy time to invent and deploy uh, newer technologies that would help both Taiwan defend itself but help us fight 21st century wars and have the military-industrial uh, base that we need, we'll take the time. Seeing a bit of detente is better than being pretty confident the missiles are about to start flying. Uh, but I don't think any policymaker, not Republican, not Democrat, not on the Hill, not in the administration, says peace in our time. 
I agree with everything you said there, Bruce. I think that is it's. It, uh, I don't want to. You never too- agree with everything. No, I, I know. How about this? Uh, no, but I do think it was a good meeting. It's a necessary meeting. It's what a responsible president of the United States uh, uh, should be doing uh, to cool the tensions here. Uh, it is certainly does not uh, solve every problem we have with China, and that was not the goal going into this. But I'm relieved that uh, the the pressure seems to be dialed back just a little bit, and maybe we get some pandas back. Well, and look, Secretary Blinken's <laughs> face uh, at the moment when uh, <laughs> President Biden once again said, sure, he's a dictator, although I don't know how I was going to answer that. But the, the moment that, that comedy everybody else has captured of Secretary Blinken's face was uh, was almost worth the entirety of the meeting. Lincoln needs like a rubber band on his wrist or something to, uh, <laughs> to control his facial expression. Maybe. The great spy balloon crisis was, what, six months ago? Don't say it was overblown. We shall see. It seems to me the Chinese are in a a spot of weakness, and they're stalling for time. Well, stalling for time or playing for time. You know, they may also say, all right, how's America, how's American strength going to be over the next year? I mean, one of Putin's classic mistakes in Ukraine was, why did he go in when he went in? I assume he thought after our shambolic departure from Afghanistan that we didn't, we weren't going to do what we did. But to the credit of the administration, we put the NATO band back together and kind of kicked the Russians' ass, at least in the early innings of that war. Uh, if you're President Xi, are we going to be more or less divided in 2024? Right. You got time. And since you need a little bit of stuff, that's why I think it's really important. Neither, uh, you know, I, I don't think the business community is going to say, oh, okay, let's not worry about having a more resilient supply chain. You know, the happy days are here again. I, it's People are happy because the alternative to um, friendlier times is, is scarier times. But I don't think it changes the direction of policy, neither business policy nor government. Okay, boys, we've eaten our vegetables, we've had our dinner, it's time for pumpkin pie. Elections, the, the picture of the 2024 elections is coming into clearer focus. Uh, let's start on the House side where we've seen uh, a slew of retirements. Uh, I've got 30 announced retirements, which is, uh, you know, look, we're sailing into the even numbered year, it's a presidential election year into the second session of the Congress. Uh, this is about the time people start to raise their hand and say, I'm tapping out. We, we've seen a few surprises. Uh, Kay Granger, the chairwoman of the Appropriations Committee on the Republican side. Uh, Dan Kildee, a, a pretty well-regarded moderate member on the Democratic side. I'm not going to go through the whole list here. I've got 20 Democrats and 10 Republicans that have announced retirement. DT, what do you make of these uh, retirements on the House side? Out of out of line in terms of uh, who they are and the numbers are pretty much what you would expect. I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily out of line. This is the time that, that you do expect uh, if retirements are going to come, they generally come at the end of the first year. So uh, no, no huge su- surprises, I guess, in the numbers at least. Now, there are more Dems that are retiring than Republicans at this point. We'll see if that number comes more into balance here generally you don't want to retire when you think you're going to get your gavels back. Um, So that's a little bit off kilter there for the Dems. But look, uh, you know, guy like Derek Kilmer is a young guy and a bright rising star. I'm sorry to see him step down and hope there's a future for him in public service somewhere else. Dan Kildee, I'm going to 
miss the hell out of that guy. Goes, Boy, he's a decent fellow. The one that is uh, rumored right now, she hasn't said anything, but it's starting to be reported in the press, um, is Anna Eshoo, who I absolutely think the world of. I think she is, uh, when you look at Silicon Valley today, it is not an exaggeration to say it wouldn't be the way it is without the leadership she's shown in the tech policy space. And she's just delightful. So I hope she's not retiring. Uh, if she's listening in, uh, think again. But uh, if she does, boy, hats off to her. Well, it's almost impossible to say who is going to have the gavels next Congress. I think the Republican majority is down to three seats. Uh, uh, you're right. We left. Out, I left out the biggest <laughs> retirement of all. George Santos has announced he's not running again. But of course, when we get back, he may be forced into retirement uh, when the House takes up a resolution well, to uh, kick him out of is Congress. Is he not running again or is he not running again as George Santos? <laughs> Under uh, rebranding, rebranding. I'm not going to take the Santos bait. Instead, I'm going to pivot over to the Senate side where we had some very big news last week when uh, Senator Joe Manchin uh, not unexpectedly uh, announced his retirement. It's really hard to see him getting over the hump in West Virginia, uh, but it really puts all the focus on Ohio, Montana, and Arizona for the Democrats to hold all their seats to retain the Senate majority. Did, did I mention George Santos is retiring? <laughs> I haven't even gotten to Senator Manchin's proposed presidential campaign. Uh, and, 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 you know, Santos has done a lot for Long Island, so I'm hoping he'll reconsider as well. Um, Santos, Santos, Santos. Uh, no, uh, yeah, Senator Manchin has announced he's stepping down. That is going to be a uh, heck of a tough seat for Dems to hang on to. That's not going to happen. Uh, You've got no fouls to give, though. The whole rest of the board, you got to run the table. you got to run the traps here. But this is um, one of the things I'm thankful for uh, this year is that in states that are very red, we have very good Democrats who know how to win. Sherrod Brown has won in Ohio year after year after year. Uh, 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 Senator Tester has done the same thing out in uh, Montana. These are Democrats who are authentic. That is why they win. Uh, you look at John Tester and the guy looks like the state of Montana. Under any normal circumstances, you would say a Democrat doesn't have any business uh, holding that seat or Sherrod Brown in Ohio. I think both of them come back. Although it has a bit of a Heitkamp Landrew feel. I mean, sometimes there are years where even people who, and I agree with you, Senator Tester has done a good job of being authentic out there, but um, we're seeing so few ticket splitters who vote differently between presidential and Senate. If the R's can get a non-Dr. Oz, non-Herschel Walker candidate out there, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one for the for the Democrats. Well, look, so much of how the House and Senate elections shake out is going to be guided by the top of the ticket. We are sailing towards what looks like uh, a total rematch of Biden v. Trump. Who knows? President Biden uh, just turned 81 years old this week. Uh, he has gotten some awful uh, polling numbers. Uh, he's he's losing to Trump by single digits, and I think uh, Nikki Haley by double digits. You know, just looking at the president's reelect, I, I watch uh, I watch Governor Newsom going over to China and getting himself photographed with President Xi, sort of burnishing the credentials. And then you got the Obama people, uh, David Axelrod and former President Obama himself, who do not seem inclined to throw their former vice president any sort of a lifeline. You know, to your to your larger question here is is Joe Biden going to be the nominee? Yes. Like, get used to it. The good news is for the president is that the election is a year away. He's got a year to get his message out. He's got a ton to run on. Great legislative record. Uh, restoring our, uh, the relationship with our allies around the world, um, defending democracy at home and abroad. Uh, I think when Americans start to focus on the, the record that he has run with, 
particularly versus uh, what President Trump is offering, which is, in his words, uh, a retribution campaign that he would have in office here. I think, hopefully, most Americans are going to say, like, you know what, I'll, uh, I'll take Uncle Joe for another four. Well, uh, before we get out of here, it is Thanksgiving. So let's talk about what we're thankful for. What are we thankful for in terms of uh, in, in terms of America and our political system? And I'll just say I am first off, I'm getting a little tired of the hand wringing over the future of democracy. Uh, I, I don't see it. I, even the, we are bigger and better than any one person. Uh, and so I'm thankful for the resilience uh, of the American system. It has proven itself resilient, and I think it will continue to prove itself resilient no matter who wins the next election. Bruce, how about you? I like that. I got three. So one, uh, I'm thankful that the uh, we seem to see a bit of a repudiation of the faculty lounge. Campus celebrations of the Hamas terrorist attack have caused a lot of people to say, yeah, maybe these guys don't have the, uh, the, the beating heart of the country in, uh, in their rhetoric. Number two, I'm happy that uh, Nikki Haley is kind of hit her stride again. I'd seen this in her capabilities before, and I like an alternative. I like a competitive primary, and I like an alternative to uh, four more years of Trumpism. And then you made the point, the streets of San Francisco could be cleaned up. I'm hoping they stay cleaned up, and I sure as hell hope that Washington, D.C. gets the memo because oh. we're averaging more than three carjackings a day in the nation's capital. That is uh, egregious and should not be the case. The crime in this city is brutal. DP? Uh, I'll try to end on a, uh, a more positive uh, note here, but I don't, I don't disagree with anything Bruce just said there. I am thankful for the Carters, and here is why. A life in public service, uh, showing the ability to have, uh, you know, sort of rise up um, after a defeat and have a great second act and, and, and a marriage that lasted 77 years, Boy, if that's not something to look up to and to aspire to, I don't know what does. So hats off to the, and Jimmy Carter just keeps on ticking. I mean, what a guy. I think um, I, I'm so pleased that as we uh, get to what is likely the end of a very long life that I think people can appreciate him uh, for he and his wife and all they've accomplished. And one more here, our producer, Veer Shaw. Veer, Yay. get up here. Tell us what you're thankful for. Veer puts Veer puts up and posts uh, the 14th and G podcast every time we cut it. Puts all the distribution together, and uh, I'm thankful for you, Veer, and all the work you do. Well, hey, thanks, Dean, for uh, <laughs> let me step in here. Um, I think I'm going to follow suit with TT and uh, and go on a lighter note. A, I'm thankful for the pandas coming back. I think we all are. <laughs> and and two, I got to give. A shout-out to my boys in Detroit, the Detroit Lions. 8-2 and two for the first time since 1962. Wow. I mean, come on now. Two. I That's something to be like George Plimpton era, 1962. Wow. And You're right they, around that era. Will they play Thanksgiving Day? Uh, but I am thankful for all of you. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, Veer Shah, thank you for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thank you, Dean. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman Consulting. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.